Turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2. And let's pray together now over this focus moment in the Word of God. Father, we pray again and ask you to speak to us through the ministry of your Word tonight. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Well, our focus for the, uh, as you see on the screen, on these Wednesday nights, this coming, this next Wednesday night, and and, uh, last Wednesday night, is discipleship lessons from a father to his son. A close look at 2 Timothy. And we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 in just a moment. Let me throw this thought out to you. Not this coming Wednesday, but the Wednesday after is our family fall fellowship or our fall family fellowship. It's just a time of fellowship and food. And Stacy, we're going to have chili cook-off and games and fun uh, and frivolity uh, and fellowship. Uh, and that's a big part of discipleship. How many remember discipleship is a call to follow Jesus, right? I said it's a call to follow Jesus, right? It's a call to fish for men, right? And it's a call to fellowship with the family of faith. So it's important that we plug in, get involved with it. And I want you to bring your friends, your family, everybody come. It's going to be, we're going to feed you and feed one another. Uh, and so uh, just, that's the last Wednesday uh, of this month. And before you know it, it'll be November. And before you know it, the turkey Tom will start getting nervous. And before you know it, Christmas will be here. And before you know it, 2014 will be gone and we'll be moving into 2015. I'm telling you, things are moving at a breakneck speed. And so we want to make, maximize every opportunity, not only to to, uh, to grow in Christ, but to fellowship with one another and, and, and build relationships with one another. With that in mind, let's jump into 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, uh, give you a couple of things, and I'm, I think I'm going to read the whole chapter. Can you all handle me reading the whole chapter? Can you follow along with me? You won't fall asleep. Sabrina, you won't fall asleep back there. Brent, you, Brent might fall asleep. He's still all messed up from his schedule. <laughs> but he had a, a day off. I think he's going to get back on to normal uh, uh, lifestyle. And so, uh, uh, hey, we'll do that in just a moment. Let's fill in a couple of blanks if you want to. I said this last week. Discipleship equals what? Oh, it's on the board. Relationship. It really does. If we're going to grow in Christ, we're going to be disciples. And you'll see this from the life of Paul and from Paul to Timothy. And this second Timothy, you know, Paul is, is passing on discipleship truth, leadership truth to his son in the faith, Timothy, who most say was his successor. Because if you get to the last part of second Timothy, what does he say? I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. My departure is at hand. Uh, He knows his days are numbered. How many of you know all of our days are numbered? They really, I said, how many of you know all of our days are numbered? Did you know planet Earth is the shortest amount of time you'll ever live anywhere? That's right. Okay, it's very, it's very temporal. It's very temporary. And Paul came to the place where he knew his life was on, uh, he was on his way out. He wanted to go to heaven. In fact, another book he says to, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so you see that he's pouring into Timothy's life principles and truths, discipleship principles, leadership principles that he can carry on after uh, Paul's departure. 
And, and we see that in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 2. What does he call him? To Timothy, a beloved what? Son. He realized he had a son in the faith. And so, let me give you a little, uh, this may be, yeah, this is in your notes. Last week, we looked at first chapter. We got some, some discipleship principles from the first chapter. You can just, if you can remember them, help me. The, the, the first one in, out of verse 2 through 6 in chapter 1, the power and priority of what? Generational transference. We owe it to the next generation. And you see that here in this whole book. Paul's, Paul's passing the baton to the next generation. We've got to be spending our days uh, raising up leaders and raising up disciples who we can pass the baton to. Uh, if when you die, all that you gained and all that you learned and all that you established in your life dies with you, then you did not follow through with the call of God uh, to pass the baton to the next generation. The next discipleship truth we learned last week from chapter 1 is maintain the what? Maintain the flame. He said stir up the gift of God. That means to fan into flame the gifting of God on your life. Great uh, discipleship truth. It doesn't just happen. How many of you know uh, spiritual grace and anointing and gifting? If we don't keep it stirred up, we don't keep it fired up, it'll die in us. And we'll have to, we'll have to, we may need to go to counseling. We may need to get to the altar and somebody to rattle us and shake us to get us back on track and have a Holy Ghost moment in order to uh, fire us back up. So the responsibility of discipleship is maintain the flame. And then from verse 13 through 18 in chapter 1, we learned that you've got a what? Remember, my, remember Charlie Walker? What did he say? Oh, what you got? You got to hang on to what you've got. Don't let it go. How do you know there's a lot of things out there, a lot of powers and influences trying to undermine what God's doing in our life? Everybody say, hold what you got. Tell your neighbor, hold what you got. And then the last thing we learned from 2 Timothy chapter 1 is in ministry, some will hurt you, but some will help you. You can't let those who hurt you hurt you. Now, how many of you know people who hurt you can hurt you if you let them hurt you? Some people carry hurts. You can't carry it. It's just going to happen. People will hurt you. You can't let it build up a, 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 an unforgiveness or a bitterness in your life. Some will hurt you. Some will help you. And he talked about uh, Epaphroditus who had helped him greatly. So those are some things from chapter 1. Uh, let's look in chapter 2. Here I go. I'm going to read it. For, uh, for, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. It's the New King James. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now let me just pause. I can't help but pause. Every verse of this, I mean, it explodes with truth. In fact, I'm going to give you 10 thoughts out of this chapter. So hang on. But every verse just explodes with truth. Did you know chapter 2, verse 1, I could preach an entire message off that one verse. I mean, just telling you. And, and then chapter 2, just boom, it just explodes. I'm going to do a, I'm going to do a teaching session in Dallas in, in a few weeks for young ministers who need to know how to develop their messages and be able to communicate clearly. It's kind of a communication, uh, you know, sermon preparation seminar. Uh, and uh, one of the secrets is being able to look at one verse and just 
let it unlock for you. Just one thought. I mean, it just, to me, it explodes with truth and revelation. So here we go. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one entangled in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer. Do you notice the different illustration? The soldier, uh, the, the uh, athlete, the hardworking farmer. Uh, there's kind of an underlying theme of all those, and I'll explain that in a moment. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember, pardon me, remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. Wow. But the word of God is not chained. Somebody say amen. I love that. Therefore I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a faithful saying. For if we died with him, we shall also live with him. If we endure, we shall also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Remind them of these things, charging them before the Lord not to strive about words to no profit, to the ruin, to the ruin of hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus are of this sort. Who have also, pardon me, who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Nevertheless, I love this, the solid foundation of God stands, having this sealed. The Lord knows those who are His. Everyone say that. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. But in a vessel, pardon me, but in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay and some of honor and some of dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. But avoid foolish and ignorant disputes, knowing that they generate strife. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. And everybody said... Amen. 
Now, one of the ways I look at Scripture, you, you think, and you, could, you can look at a whole book and you can kind of think, what's the overall theme of the book? And what is, what's Paul saying here to Timothy? And, and, uh, and, and you can come up with those ideas. And then, of course, we know when he wrote the letter, there weren't chapters, okay? But I'm going to kind of look at this chapter and give it kind of a thought and an angle uh, when it comes to discipleship. And really, this is my take on it. Uh, it's... Uh, chapter 2, if, if there were a theme to this chapter, now again, they weren't broken down in chapters, but if you look at it from that standpoint, uh, it really, he's talking about the demands of effective discipleship. That's my perspective. Some things you're just going to have to do. How many of you know in discipleship and growing in Christ, there's some non-negotiables in life? Listen, that's the one thing that, that is watering down the message of the gospel. It's people are trying to negotiate with the Word of God. You can't negotiate with God's Word, God's plan. In fact, I think that what Paul's doing with Timothy here, he's raising the bar for him. Listen, the, the gospel is not legalistic. But I'm telling you, the gospel has a standard to live up to. Are you with me? And, and we'll learn tonight, we don't do it in our strength. But we certainly do it, okay? And so understand, this is what I think. This is what I think Paul's doing with Timothy. He's, re- he's, he's lifting his, his understanding to the responsibility of the call of God on his life. And he's raising the standard and he's saying, listen, uh, I'm, a, I'm about to check out of here. And I'm raising the bar for you. It's time for you to step up. It's time to you uh, as, a, as a leader, as a follower, as, as, a, as a friend, as a member of the family of faith. To, to raise the bar of, of, of righteousness and, 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 and godliness in your life for the sake of those who you influence. And if there's nothing else I can say tonight, we could go home tonight with that understanding, knowing that it's time for us to raise the bar in our life, to, 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 to lift the lid on our walk with God and step up to another level and begin to be what God wants us to be and do what God wants us to do and not sit around and wait for some lightning bolt to come along and, and kick us down the road four or five miles. Come on, somebody say amen. I done gone to preaching. So with that in mind, I'm going to give to you Ten uh, demands that I see from Scripture that, hey, if we're going to be effective disciples, it demands some things in our life to be effective. Let, let, me, just, let me just talk about that word effective for a, for a moment. In fact, uh, maybe those two words don't even fit because there's no, there's no such thing as ineffective discipleship. <laughs> so maybe I should have thought through this a little more. But for the sake of understanding, uh, we've got to be effective in our efforts as disciples of Jesus Christ. How many of you, how many of you when you wake up every morning, you just something comes all over you and say, I want to be as ineffective as I can for God and everybody. I just don't want to. I don't want to, hey, we all want to do something uh, for Christ. Uh, it, it's just moving it from the want to, to the will to, to the actual accomplishment thereof. So with that in mind, let me give you the first one. And this is, this is how we do it. Effective discipleship demands the growth. It's from verse 1 of chapter 2, the growth of grace. Look at this. And the strength of grace in our, in our life. Look at that first, first verse. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, 
This is, this is amazing to me. Paul knows that Timothy can't do this without God's grace in his life. And this is what we've got to embrace. This is where we've got to come to. Hey, if we're going to raise the bar, how are we going to do it? By the grace of God. How many of you know what the grace of God, what's the old standard definition? Un what? Unmerited favor. How many of you know we need God's favor in our life? Did you know you can't earn God's favor? For by grace you were saved through faith, and that's not even of yourself. It was a gift of God. You can't earn your way into right relationship with God. And listen, when it comes to being effective in the things of God, we're saved by His grace, and we walk by His grace. We live by His grace. And this is what I'm catching from this passage right here. Paul knows that God wants to, he wants to pour it out on us more and more. How many of you know God wants to give us greater grace to accomplish His kingdom purposes? But he wants, a, he wants to give grace to those who will use it appropriately and not for our own blessings and our own benefits. Are you with me? Say amen. So he says, he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I love what 2 Peter 3.18 says. Uh, Peter says this, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word grow in that, in Second Peter, it means to enlarge. Just let God's grace grow and be enlarged in your life. Let it, let it be made manifest in greater measure in your life. And listen, I'm not totally sure how we do that other than just really do everything we can to maintain a revelation of His grace and, and, and a walking and living by the, by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. But understand something. There's a demand upon all of us. And, and, and we've, got to have, we've got to have more grace in our life day by day. It's got to grow in us. And just, just, in fact, let's all right now just say, God, give us more grace. Help us grow in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let that great grace, His favor. He wants to favor us. Look at your neighbor and say He wants to favor you. He really does. Amen? He really, really does. Number two, and it's from verse two. Let's see if you can fill in the button. Well, I won't throw this one at you. Effective discipleship demands a deposit. Take care and deposit wisely. Look at, look at verse 2. And the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Now, there's the plan of discipleship right there. 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. He says this. And the things which you've heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. In other words, that, that discipleship is propagated. What's the Great Commission say? Go therefore and make what? Disciples. And this is the process. How many of you, God's, God's spoken and done some things in your life and established truth in your life? Okay, is it just for you? Absolutely not. An effective discipleship demands that what God gives us, we deposit it. That word commit, where he said, commit these to faithful men, it means this, to deposit as a trust. How many of you know what God's done in our life is valuable? It's like a precious commodity. 
okay? And you know what? That precious commodity that Christ has given us, it's not just for us. It's for others. It's for our children. It's for our children's children. It's for our brothers, our sisters, uh, our neighbors, our friends, our work associate, associates. And, and, and here's the key. He said, you go find some faithful people who will take what, you te- what I told you, and then they'll take what you told them that I told you, and they'll take what I told you and you told them, and they'll tell somebody else. And the gospel of the kingdom will continue to procreate, and the discipleship process will continue. This is a demand for God's kingdom to come and his will to be done. This is a demand for the Great Commission to be fulfilled. It demands a deposit. Understand something. Most people, most Christians, okay, what do most Christians want? They want a deposit. And most people, their their hands are up, their mouths are open going, gimme, 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 I need something, I want more. Gimme, 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 I want more. How many of you know God's not going to give you more until you release some? Have you ever ate too much? You can't eat anymore until there's a release. It's true. I don't think we're recording tonight, so I think we're all right. But hey, th- hey, let me just say, there's a lot, lot of fat, sickly Christians who all they do, uh, their expectation is for God to give me something else. How many of you know, an, well, on a very limited sense, today I was on the back porch and I ran out of sour gummy worms, and so all I had was M&M's. How many of you know kids love M&M's? And Gideon, who's barely big enough to chew the peanut M&M, he can't do it. But he's chewing it, and before it's, I mean, it's everywhere, he's, he's wanting more. I said, no, 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 you, you got to eat it all and swallow it. I'm not going to give you more. I'm not going to deposit more until you've taken what you've got. And uh, hey, we've got to, we, we've got to use what God has given us and begin to give it to others. That's what discipleship is all about. Effective discipleship demands a deposit. Take care and deposit wisely. Now, here's a little side note. I'll just throw it out as food for thought. He said, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. My inference there, if, there, if, you, find, if you give it to faithful men, what does that say about others? There might be some that are unfaithful. How many of you don't want to be a part of that crowd? You don't want to be a part of the unfaithful you want to be a part of the faithful that, that, that leadership looks and says, ooh, there's somebody who will take a deposit. There's somebody who will take what I give them and give it to somebody else. You know, Jesus said something pretty rough. If I said some of the things Jesus said or some of the things Paul said, some of you might run me out on a rail. Jesus said this in Matthew 7, 6, don't give that which is holy to dogs. And he wasn't talking about the woof, woof, woof kind of dog. Jesus knew there were some people who would trample on and undermine the truth of God that you try to give them. Now, uh, that's just a side note. I mean, we don't need to spend all our time, energy, and go, is he a dog? 
is he not a dog? How many of you know dogs are pretty self-evident? Right? When you see a dog, woof, 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 that's a dog. Same way with people who, who, whose hearts are not open and their ears are not open and their hearts are, are resistant to the things of God. Now, uh, it doesn't mean we don't share truth with them, but it means, hey, he, you, if, you wanna, if you want discipleship demands that we find someone who has an open heart and we deposit what we have in them. Okay, are you with me? Say amen. So, great truth. Great discipleship truth. Father to the Son. Uh, de- deposit. Number three. Effective discipleship demands, in fact, let's just hold, our, hold the blank there. Let me read 2 Timothy 2, verse 3. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So, somebody fill in the blank. Effective discipleship demands... Endurance, absolutely. You've got to endure this race. You can't quit. You can't give up. Uh, and uh, uh, you've got to be enduring, and you've got to develop endurance in others. In fact, all these illustrations have to do with endurance. The soldier requires endurance. The athlete requires endurance. In fact, Paul used this illustration with the athlete in Corinthians when he talked about running the race and enduring and and winning the prize. And you've got to be disciplined in all things. It demands endurance. Paul told, uh, I think the Romans, you have need of endurance that after you finish your course, you might receive your inheritance. We've got to endure the process, okay? And, And really, all through chapter to, down through verse 14, he's talking about endurance. Uh, gosh, he said, verse 12, uh, if we endure, we shall also reign with him. So uh, we've got to endure the process. In fact, a uh, little side, if you want to slip over to Hebrews, let me show you this. Hebrews 12, I just happen to believe Paul wrote it, but I can't, I can't prove it. I just happen to believe he did. Uh, but... Uh, If you remember, who do we look to when it comes to endurance? Therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us do what? Run the race with, let us run with what? Endurance, the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's endurance. An effective discipleship demands an enduring, joy-filled... What, what does it say about Jesus there? Who for the joy set before him. Enduring the... You know, endurance... Endurance can have its finished work if we know the end of the story. If you don't think you're going to make it. You're in trouble. If you don't think you're going to survive, you're in trouble. But if you can get beyond the pain of the moment and know, you know what? Even if I die, I'm on my way to heaven from Beaumont, Texas. I can endure this temporary, Paul called it a momentary light affliction because I know eternity waits for us, waits for me, amen? Amen. That's why Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. And he was a man of 
great endurance. He endured a whole lot. He was beaten, left for dead, uh, on and on and on. 30, 39 lashes, save, save one. 40 lashes, save one. Hey, he, this guy endured a lot of pain and hardship. And so here he's on his way out. And he's saying, <laughs> you know, this is just me. Uh, hey, Timothy, look, look at these stripes. You got to have endurance. You can't give up in the middle of the fray. You can't quit in the middle of the race. You can't quit in the middle of the fight. In the heat of battle, you can't throw in the towel. You're a soldier. Hey, if you're a farmer, you've got to endure. You, you can't quit when the seeds, after the seed's been sowed. You got, hey, effective discipleship demands the growth of grace. That's the only way we can do it. It demands a deposit. Not only us, God's word deposited in us, but that deposit is then deposited in others. And it demands endurance. And number four, effective discipleship demands diligent study in gaining the approval of God. Look in 2 Timothy 2.15. Look what he says, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now this is power-packed uh, scripture. Uh, it, it's in reference to, how many of you know, I'm going to get mine. You may be reading yours out of the, hold up your Bible or your iPhone or wherever. Where is it? The, you know what? This is the word of God. This is not a history book. This is his story. I'm telling you. And every word of it is true. And God gave it to us to teach us, guide us, direct us, empower us, equip us, enable us. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and has the capacity to divide between sword and spirit, joints and marrow. The word of God is the sword of the spirit, which Jesus used to overwhelm the devil in the hour of his temptation there in the wilderness. And Paul comes along with Timothy in his last hour and he says, listen, Tim, one thing you've got to understand. And oh, by the way, it, this was a challenge for Tim because the New Testament was non-existent. It was just being born. I mean, this letter, Tim didn't even know that this was going to become a part of the Word of God. So what's he looking to? The Old Testament. And he's gathering Old Testament truth for New Testament days. How many of you know, uh, someone said this one time, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. And the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Can you imagine living in the days of the disciples? Can you imagine living in the days of Timothy when, when, when they're some of the first ones to start cracking open the Old Testament and saying, Shazam, just like Gomer Powell. Look at there. He's talking about Jesus. We didn't see it until now. And now we, oh, oh, look at there. Prophecies concerning the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Shazam. I never saw that before. Can you imagine living in those exciting days of discovery? A lot of people throw out the Old Testament. Hey, listen, it's the New Testament concealed. And now we have the New Testament, which is the Old Testament revealed. And did you know from the beginning to the end, from, from Genesis to Revelation, you know what it's about? It's all about Jesus. Okay? And so Paul comes along and says, listen, you better be diligent in the study of the Word of God. You can't be haphazard. 
You've got to be diligent in the study of the Word of God. We're trying to be better here on Sundays and Wednesdays about studying the Word of God. But listen, that's just enough to get you going. You've got to have a, 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 a plan and a strategy. There's so much uh, stuff available online. You know, you can get a, Google it. I'm telling you, it's out there. You say, but what if it's uh, uh, erroneous teaching? You just line it up with God's Word. Did you know they found out the book I'm reading, Wikipedia, uh, our, our wiki church, uh, is taken from Wikipedia. And the story of Wikipedia was, I'm going to tell it quickly, Wikipedia was not always Wikipedia. They were trying to develop a system, and they said everybody can, can uh, uh, enter articles, but we've got to spend all this time validating the article, so we don't want anything out there that's not true, so therefore we're going to make sure it's all true. Well, it backlogged on them. They had thousands of articles, and in over two years, they only published like eight articles. They're going, this ain't working. Uh, so then they changed their whole mindset. They just opened it up and let everybody post. And, and you know, everybody says, Wikipedia, oh, you got to be careful. Not everything on there is true. How many of you know everything on Wikipedia is not true? But you know what they validated after the fact? Almost 90-something, over 90-something percent of everything in Wikipedia is, is pretty factual and valid. In other words, don't sit around fearful of, the, of, 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 of wrong things in your search for the truth. There will always be wrong things. But get out there and, hey, and find tools and ways and means and be diligent. to st- Discipleship demands a diligence of study. Amen. Hallelujah. Number five, effective discipleship demands a clean departure from the dishonorable. A clean break. That's found in 2 Timothy 2, 16 through 22a, where he says this, But shun profane and idle babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their message will spread like cancer. Hymenaeus and Philetus, were those the same guys in the beginning he called out? Were they? I just want to prove that. He called out. Yeah, no, that was too different. That's too different. Interesting. That was Hermogenes and Phagellus. <laughs> The names are kind of familiar. Now here's Hymenaeus and Philetus. They are of this sort. They strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection's already passed, and they over the faith of some. Listen, hey, let me tell you something. Let me throw this out. This has nothing to do with this point, but I don't want to throw this out. Be careful who you criticize and who you call name, who you who you call out. You know why you know why Paul called these guys out? They were coming directly in contrast and undermining the core values of Scripture, the, the, the whole premise of the gospel. They were saying this, that the resurrection is already past. And they overthrow the faith of some. Those are the kind of people you call out. I see people calling out people for unbiblical beliefs. Now, be, just be careful with that. Don't, hey... Let's major on the majors and minor on the minors. Let's don't, let's don't. And, and so he calls him out here because these guys were trying to undermine the core foundation of Scripture, uh, okay, and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But hear what Paul's saying to Timothy. You got to watch these guys. You got to, you got to make a clean break. He says, nevertheless, I love this, even though that's happening, verse 19, nevertheless, the solid foundation of God stands, having this seal, the Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of Christ depart from iniquity. Everyone say depart. 
But in a great house there were not only vessels of gold and silver, but also a wooden place, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, there you go, he will be a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Flee also youthful lust. Now, What's he saying? You got to make a clean break. You can't be you can't be half-hearted. You can't be uh, semi-godly. You know you can't be uh, uh, all intertwined with the things of this world and the things of the flesh and expect uh, your discipleship life to be productive. Your walk with God to be productive. Effective discipleship demands that we make a clean break from anything that would dishonor the name of the Lord. That would, that would not give him glory, that would not bless him, that would not benefit the kingdom of God. Effective discipleship demands a clean departure from that which is dishonorable. And everybody said amen. Now, quickly, the next five have to do with the heart. Discipleship is a matter of the heart. How many of you don't know you don't follow God from your head? How many of you don't know you don't try to win people to Christ from your head? You don't, you don't uh, fellowship in this, with the family of faith just from a head knowledge. and a, you know, a, it's, it's an issue of the heart. In fact, effective discipleship is all about relationships, right? It really is. Discipleship equals relationship. Relationship with God, which is from the heart. Relationship with the, with, uh, the world that needs Christ, which is our heart after the world. In fact, then the third is relationship with the family of faith. It's all an issue of the heart. So with that, that in mind, let me finish off this chapter uh, with some heart issues. Uh, and here's the first one. Effective discipleship demands a disciplined and accountable pursuit after purity of heart. Everyone read that with me out loud. Here we go. Effective discipleship demands, everybody out loud, effective discipleship demands a disciplined and accountable pursuit after purity of heart. Now, this this statement is power-packed with truth. Listen, it takes discipline to stay righteous, and it takes accountability to stay righteous. Look what Paul tells Timothy. This is one of my early teenage scriptures that exploded off, them, off the pages that, that helped me through my teenage years is 2 Timothy 2, 22. Flee also youthful lust, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord out of a what? your heart. Flee also youthful lust and pursue after righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on God from a pure heart. He, t- he knows Timothy needs this. He know- hey, what's he saying, Timothy? Even though you're about to take the baton of leadership, guess what? You're accountable. You better find, you better find a fellowship of, 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 of co-laborers who you can run this race together with, you're, you're not, you're fleeing. And here's what I tell you, you flee by way of pursuit. If you're always looking back, trying to get away from immorality or impurity, you've got your focus in the wrong direction. If you're always fighting off temptations with, oh, they, hey, the, the best way to fight temptation is start pursuing after righteousness, faith, love, and peace. How many of you think that's a better deal? 
Hey, we all going to be, we're all going to suffer temptation. Jesus said, and Paul said this about him. Uh, it, it says, uh, no, we're, we've all been tempted the same way even Christ was tempted without sin. There is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted uh, beyond your ability, but will with that temptation provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. I think that's 1 Corinthians 10, but I couldn't tell you for sure. Okay, it just came out of my head. But hey, understand this. We gotta, we've got to understand how we get through these issues is not by ourselves. It's by accountability. Anybody ever heard of accountability partners? It's sometimes in our life, we need to be accountable. If, hey, if we're having issues with finances and, we, and, we're, and we're blowing all our money, you need accountability if, if, in every area. And so, hey, this is a heart issue. If you want to have a pure heart, you gotta, you've got to pursue after righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Amen. Find some role models in your life. Begin to build relationships. I got a guy, I got a new friend. His name is Keith Green. And he's not the Keith Green who's in heaven. Most of you young people don't know Keith Green who died and went to heaven. He was a songwriter in the early Jesus movement days. Not him. I got a new friend named Keith Green. He's probably older than I. Uh, but uh, met him at Church on the Rock Network of Ministers. He's he got a long history with Church on the Rock. He's just a great guy. He's got a great testimony, and he's got a great ministry. Uh, and the, I've seen him just about everywhere I go. I see Keith Green, and we got to spend some time with each other. In fact, I, I met him once at our network of ministers, and then when my mother died, he came to the funeral. I'm going, who is this guy? So last weekend when we are at another funeral, uh, Susan Knatzer's, uh, uh daddy, he was there. And I was talking to somebody with him, and I said, you know, this guy, I said, he came to my mother's funeral. I said, Keith, what's up? He said, he said, I just need some friends. I went, that guy's really smart. He's just coming in, showing himself friendly. And you know what? I like the guy. He's a great guy. He, in fact, he told me something you need to know. Did you know, if I can get it right, he, he does some political stuff, uh, Gosh, 30% or something of, 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 of Christian potential voters, only, gosh, I'm going to get this wrong, but I think 50% have not registered to vote. And of the 50% that registered to vote, these numbers are probably off, half of them didn't vote. Did you know the election, the presidential election uh, uh, that we had eight years, did you know if the Christians would have just showed up and voted according to their biblical conscience, the history of America would be totally different today? Because the, uh, he just told me those things. That's a good friend, okay? And he's building, you know what? And you know what I'm going to begin to do uh, more and more? Uh, hey, I'm going I'm, to, we're going to pursue Christ together. I got a new friend. It's pretty awesome. Amen. So, it's hard issues. Number seven, effective discipleship demands a servant's heart. Look what he says in verse 24. And a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. He's just talking about servant's heart. And how many of you know that's Jesus' heart? In fact, what does, what's the Bible say in Matthew uh, concerning Jesus? Uh, Matthew 20, verse 28 
Jesus didn't come to be served, but to what? Serve and give his life a ransom for many. And understand something, effective discipleship uh, requires us to be servants. Someone said this one time, I thought it was true. Everybody embraces this servant's heart until people start treating us like one. <laughs> but how many of you know, if you have a real heart of servitude, you don't mind if people treat you like a servant. Because that's your heart. Are you with me? And we are servants. Here's another discipleship truth. Effective discipleship demands a gentle and kind heart. Look what he says in that same verse. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to who? All. Able to teach and patient. What's he telling Timothy here? He's given Timothy the methodology and mindset of discipleship. It demands a gentle and a kind heart. And I love this, apt to teach. Now, let me just tell you something. Think about the most effective teachers in your life. Think about them. Anybody can think of the teacher that made the biggest difference in your life. Anybody? Did anybody teachers pop into their head? You might remember their name? What's, what's her name? Miss Honeycutt. Miss Hutchins. Either, either. Any teachers. Who? Steve Morgan. Any other teachers? Yes, what's her name? Nancy. Hey, let me tell you something. Let me just throw this out. Were they mean and rude? No, they weren't. The most effective teachers are gentle and kind. And they work their way into your world through a gentle and a kind heart where you just go, oh, I believe you. Rude, crude, and sociably unfitable people are not effective disciples. People who, who, who are brassy and, and hard and, and critical and critiquing, hey, they're not going to raise up disciples. Who wants to follow that? When I grow up, I want to just be like that. You know who. Absolutely not. Effective discipleship demands a purity of heart. It demands a servant's heart. It demands a gentle and a kind heart. And then on that same verse, effective discipleship demands a patient heart. Enduring, that word patient there, it just, I love this. I just love how Paul teaches Timothy. A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all. Now you would think you wouldn't have to say that. Until you meet a few people, <laughs> meet a few church folk. <laughs> Have you ever met some church folk that needed to read that? I remember one time early in our early years, we had the wrong people in the nursery, work in the nursery. We had, we were, hey, every first time visitor, we'd try and treat them like king and queen. They came through with kids and we had an overflow in the nursery. And the nursery worker in there, as these kids were headed towards the door, she ran to the door and said, We're full! We're full! We can't take any more! <laughs> I went, That's not good. That's not... We need to get her some... Put her in the copy machine room or something, you know. We, she, she needs... And listen, we've got a gentle and kind. And I love... He just says, And patient got to be patient, which means enduring of ill and forbearing. And really, it means showing restraint. 
Every day in dealing with people, we have an opportunity to react to something, do we not? Every time we come to church, every time we interact with humanity, we have an opportunity to react. Paul tells Timothy, if you're going to be effective in this thing called discipleship and leadership, don't be a reactionary. The whole world's full of people who need Jesus, and he's about to show him this in just a minute. They're not redeemed. They're, they're unregenerate. They need a Savior. And they're, be patient. Even in the Walmart line. Amen. Wherever you are. <laughs> be patient. I remember Aaron's he's got a story. That's funny. And then number 10, and we'll close. Effective discipleship demands a humble heart in helping others, not a haughty big head. <laughs> I just threw that in. The haughty big head's not actually in Scripture. I just thought that sounded good. But let's look at these final verses, verse 25. After he said, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, and patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. I love that. Humility, we correct those. It's a humble heart. So there's the heart. It's a pure heart. A servant's heart, a gentle and kind heart, a patient heart, and a humble heart. And everybody said amen. We're endeavoring to understand on Sunday and Wednesday what it really means to be a disciple. Someone who follows Christ, who fishes for men, and who fellowships with the family of faith. I trust that these messages are helping you plug into the mindset of discipleship. Next Wednesday night, we'll conclude this little mini-series. Now, you got to be here, and here it is. Discipleship during difficult days. Listen, you can define difficult days in a lot of ways. Paul says this in, the, in chapter 4. He talks about difficult days upon us. It, he talks about uh, uh, in the end times and times being tough. Uh, chapter 3, perilous times will come. Difficult days. Listen, we are in difficult days globally. And so we've got to learn how to be right-hearted in discipleship during difficult days. Paul understood difficult days. Father, we thank you for the study and the reading and the ministry of your word. May it bring fruit in us, Lord, even tonight. May the word of the Lord explode in our hearts and grow. And I just pray, Lord, and I water this seed in prayer. And I pray it would grow and we'd become more and more like you. And Father, we would learn from these lessons from a father to his son. We would grow in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And everybody said, amen. God bless you tonight. Sunday morning, be here. Bring a friend. Love somebody. Let's keep growing in Christ. Go fishing for men this week. Find somebody that you can make a difference in their life. It's good to have each of you.
God bless you. We'll see you Sunday. Amen.